The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, unbutton your brain and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 299 with guest Jeffrey Palermo, recorded live Monday, December 10th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now bringing world-class expert-led training in C-Sharp, ASP.NET, VB.NET, SharePoint, BizTalk, Team System, and Workflow Foundation on-site to your development team. Details online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.tel. ERIK.com and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code magazine.com. And now, the man who uses the Model View controller to read the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, Lawrence. Great job on the joke there, mister. And welcome back to .NET Rocks. I'm here with Richard Campbell, as I am twice a week, for your listening pleasure. Hi, Richard. Twice a week, every week. How is it that you sound so close, and yet you are so far away? Yes. It's the magic of technology. And, you know, the microphone's close. Yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but um, we how we do this? Because it seems like magic, doesn't it? I mean, well, it seems like we're in the same room. Yeah. But Richard's actually in Vancouver on one coast. I'm on the other coast. He records with a microphone, a wave file. I record a wave file with my microphone. But he calls my uh, telephone system, and I record his phone track, too. So then he sends me his wave file. We line up to the phone track, clean it up, do a little panning, a little cleaning, zip, take the phone track out, instant magic. Yep. It takes a few more hours than that. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not instant, but it feels instant. <laughs> anyway, let's get started with Better Know Framework. So this uh, Better Know Framework came out of a real necessity. Oh. Because... I am building in my ever so dwindling spare time 
an online order form for the uh, illustrious Sahil Malik DVD on SharePoint 2007, that cool. nine-hour training thing that we were just talking about. And uh, in order to do this, I really need to support downloading. I need people to be able to download an ISO file because they're in Argentina, after all. Yeah, they're you not... don't really want to ship a disk there. No, that's just a total waste of resources. So, but I don't want to give out just a, a plain old URL for everybody to share. It's got to have some authentication. So, the first thing I did naturally was I created a page and I changed the output content type to a, you know, just a basic octet. Um, what, are you, what do you do there? You do the, uh, you create, you open the file with a stream and you go through and you write out to the output stream and all of that stuff. And you just set the content type to, a, to whatever the file name is, to file type is. Zip file, ISO file, octet, basically, octet stream. And I got all this code working, and it works fine. And I'm thinking, you know, there's got to be a better way. So then I'm just looking through the IntelliSense for the response object. Right. There's a transmit file method. Nice. <laughs> How many you lines of code is this? Let problem. me count the lines of code. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 lines of code shortened to one. Nice. I love it. Isn't that great? I never knew about this, and this has been in ASP.NET 2.0. Response, transmit, file, you just pass the file name, and you're done. You're done. Thanks for playing. Thanks for playing. So there it is, the system.web.httpresponse.transmitfile method. Doesn't get any easier than that. You got an email for us, Richard? I do indeed, from Phil DeVoe, uh, in relation to one of your BKAFs. Cool. Dear Carl and Richard, greetings. I get my own acronym now. Isn't that awesome? You are an acronym, yeah, BKAF. I'm an anachronism, I think, is what you meant to say. <laughs> so, dear Carl and Richard, greetings from sunny Florida, where it's raining today. I listened to the show where you talked about weak references during BKAF yesterday. Yep. It seems to me that weak references would be an ideal use case for something like undo states. You could keep copies of previous objects in memory, a la paint.net, and let the GC handle the weak reference cleanup laissez-faire, rather than managing the undo states yourself. You'd have hmm. to undo states as far back as the GC is willing to keep them around. Hmm. Phil DeVoe. Interesting thought, Phil. Is it, once again, it's an idea of just use memory that you could say, if you want to free this up, go ahead. The problem, of course, is that the moment the GC runs, all your undo goes away. Yeah. So you'd have to come up with some system to keep like the last twenty and make the 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 later ones softer. You know, it's it it might get a little complicated. I'm trying to remember how Rocky does it because he does that in CSLA.net, and I think I think he uses reflection, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He might use serialization, but I'm not sure. We'll have to ask him again or go back and listen to that show. Yeah, you bet. So there's some other stuff going on with our friends at Infusion. They're doing a Sleepless Roadshow. You remember Sleepless in New York, right? I do indeed. And we still have yet to interview the winner of that of that uh, contest. You remember, you remember that, right? I do remember him, but I couldn't tell you his name at the moment. Right. So we will have him on soon for a show all about that, the SharePoint uh, Sleepless in New York. Well, anyway, they're doing a Sleepless Roadshow, the ultimate office dev weekend beginning January 12, 2008. Uh, the deadline to apply is January 6th. That's a Sunday, 2008 at 11.59 p.m. And you can apply at infusion.com slash sleepless. So calling all insomniacs again. Sleepless is back, and this time we're bringing the best of SharePoint, Office Development, and Silverlight train to you for a chance at $100,000 in prizes. Wow. 
including an all-expenses trip to Microsoft's Office System Developer Conference in San Jose. We're coming to Atlanta, Dallas, L.A., Silicon Valley, Chicago, and Washington, D.C., and we're bringing SharePoint's elite, including Microsoft product team members and SharePoint MVPs. The weekend features training from SharePoint's elite, including Microsoft's product team members and SharePoint MVPs, a mystery game show, overnight developer competition. You remember that? We pulled an all-nighter? I do indeed. That was crazy. Uh, an all-expenses trip for the winning team to San Jose for Microsoft Office System Developer Conference. And if you think you got what it takes, apply now. That's at infusion.com slash sleepless. And may God have mercy on your soul. I'd point out that the original Sleepless in New York sold out instantly. I think we only did one announcement. Yep. So if you're going to do this, move fast. Move fast. It's a lot of fun. And we had a lot of fun just hanging out all night and writing code and uh, geeking out. So if you're going to do it, do it for that. All right. Well, let's introduce Jeff Palermo. He's been on the show before. Jeff is a software management consultant and the CTO of Headspring Systems in Austin, Texas. And he specializes in agile coaching, and he helps companies double the productivity of software teams. He's an MCSD.net, a Microsoft MVP, certified Scrum Master, the Austin.net user group leader, an Agile Austin board member, an Ineta speaker, an Ineta membership mentor, a Christian, a husband, a father, a motorcyclist, an Eagle Scout, a U.S. Army veteran, and he's also the Dalai Lama, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just kidding about that last part, but please welcome the Renaissance man known as Jeffrey Palermo. How are you? Hey, Carl. Hey, Richard. I'm pretty good. So, your laminess? Yes, your holiness. You're you're uh, you're writing a book on this MVP thing. Uh, the Model View Controller Framework, yes, uh, with Manning. Uh, I've got two co-authors. Um, one is Drew Sellers, and he is uh, a committer with the Monorail, and the other is Dave Verwer, and he is a Ruby on Rails consultant. So uh, hopefully it'll be a, a well-rounded book um, with, with some different perspectives as well. Oh, cool. Well, um, I know the model view controller thing in, in the model. Is it the model view controller, the MVC, not the MVP, as I said before? Right. The MVC, the ASP.NET MVC framework, this is something that we have just recently recorded um, with uh, on DNR TV, and I got to see it firsthand. Um, pretty, pretty compelling stuff, and you did a really good job in presenting it. No, thanks. And it is just out last night, late last night. They posted it on uh, the ASP.NET website. So you can download the ASP.NET um, web extensions uh, public CTP and, and use the new stuff as of today. That would have been December 9th. Well, um, why don't you start at the beginning and tell us all about this thing called the uh, MVC. Okay. ASP.NET MVC. So the, the name they're using right now is the, is the uh, MVC framework, and it's part of the uh, the web extensions library that's also going to include some entity framework stuff, some ADO.NET data services, um, and, and quite a few other things. But definitely, but this the is the same framework. way that Atlas was added to ASP.NET. Right, it's going to come out um, in in some sort of service pack or add-on uh, sometime in the middle of 2008. They don't even have a date yet, but it'll be an add-on to Visual Studio. Cool. And uh, it started out with a prototype that Scott Guthrie made on a plane ride back in March, and uh, and and I was uh, one of the few people who was able to see that prototype uh, at the MVP summit, and uh, and I was able to give him some um, initial feedback. And, and the first thing, the first thing that me, and by the way, uh, 
Jeremy Miller, Scott Bellroy, and Daryl Norton were also in a meeting um, with Mr. Guthrie. And the first thing we said was, we need a way to be able to construct the controllers ourselves because, you know, that wasn't in the initial vision. And because uh, we wanted to use an, an IOC container um, with that. And so that was some of the, the first feedback that actually has already been incorporated into the product plan. So that's pretty exciting. Okay, hang uh, on. First, Scott Guthrie is too smart. It scares me. Yes, he is. <laughs> too smart. Guy invents this thing on an airplane. That's too much. But let's take a couple steps back because I think not everybody knows the MVC pattern that well. And I think it's an important thing to sort of set the foundation here about just what we're talking about when we mean MVC. Okay, sure. Um, well, so it is not a new pattern. Um, I mean, it's been used back uh, in, in the small talk days. Java has some some model view controller frameworks. Visual Basic um, to a certain extent too. Yeah, it's definitely not a new pattern. So um, the pattern itself, the idea is not new. It's just the framework and productizing it is what's new from Microsoft. So the, so it stands for model view controller, and it is a presentation layer pattern. If you do not have a UI, then it, this does not apply. And um, what it does is break up the presentation responsibilities um, in the UI from a view and then a controller, which decides what should be displayed on the screen. And then the model represents the concepts in your application. If you're doing a, you know, an online e-commerce catalog, then examples of the model might be a product or a product category and things like that. The controller is a class, a separate class, that deals with your product and category classes, decides what to display on the screen. And then it will you know, get some products, get some categories, get some information, and then it will forward those objects to the view, which is responsible for taking those objects and transforming them into a, into a format that is visible by the user of the system or the human being in most cases. And so the view translates objects into a viewable form. The controller decides what to display on that particular screen. The controller is the thing that you use from your 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 main apps, your business objects, let's say, to um, to do the presentation. You don't go directly to the presentation layer, you use the controller. Yeah, typically the controller is going to be the boss. The controller is in charge and you know in a web app you're going to come into a certain URL or request and it's going to be routed to the controller and it's going to decide ah they want they went to this URL I know what I need to do. I need to go and grab the list of products that are in inventory. Okay. Go grab them. Now I need to sort them in a particular way. Now I need to forward them onto the view so it can be transformed into HTML. Right. Okay, so next step. Why would I want to do this? I mean, I've been successfully making ASP.NET apps show stuff from a database for quite a while now. Absolutely. And web forms, I, I, I believe uh, uh, Scott Guthrie uh, mentioned just casually one time, and I'm not sure about the numbers, that ASP.NET is the most widely used uh, web application platform on the planet. And so there's tons of people out there that are using web forms. And, um, and it's working, I mean, it's working well. I mean, there's, there's tons of applications out there. But if you, if you Google for view state or postback problem, you'll also find hundreds of thousands of folks having difficulty with some of the aspects of it, namely the postback model, the server-side eventing, uh, view states, uh, and, and the control model and the control hierarchy. So 
yes, there are tons of applications out there, and, and you know, getting started is very, very easy. Um, however, there are some things that hinder it from scaling when application complexity increases. And that also affects maintainability, which affects the total cost of your application. And so the, some of the goals of the Model View Controller Framework is to simplify uh, website development on the ASP.NET platform so that as the application has to scale up with complexity, um, the complexity of the code doesn't get out of hand. And so um, you can keep things simpler and, uh, and you know, hopefully keep your, keep your application more maintainable. And um, I'm, I'm not new to the model view controller pattern, and I've used it in smart client apps with .NET as well. Um, so I'm excited that, that Microsoft is providing this framework, and not not because you know I just jump on the latest thing from Microsoft because I tend to ignore a lot of the other products, but this one in particular, because you know I've had a lot of problems with web forms, and our clients have had a lot of problems with it because it's sort of confusing, and and you really can't verify or test the code that's in your web forms, and, and we can break off and talk about Model View Presenter because that is an effort. That is an effort to break away code from the code behind and and break some of it out so that it's testable and understandable. And y'all have had some people on the show talking about Model View Presenter. Yep, we have on DNR TV. We actually went into it quite a bit. So I guess that's a good question: is what is the difference between MVC and MVP? Well, Model View Presenter um, is typically applicable when you have. You have a view that's sort of in control. And in web forms, uh, the ASP.NET runtime routes the request to the web form. And then in the code behind, if you're, if you're using a presenter, typically you're gonna, you're gonna create the presenter and then you're gonna delegate to the presenter or call methods on the presenter. So in effect, the view or you have the page really. You have the web forms page is going to delegate some functionality to the presenter and let it do some stuff and then and then pass some objects back. So you do you do get some help. You can break some of the logic, some of the presentation logic for the screen off into the presenter. Um, you can manage it in a separate class and test it and verify it and then keep the the HTML creation in the web form. But the main difference is that the web form still happens first, and the web form is in control. The difference with Model View Controller um, that, that I think is the biggest one is that the controller is in charge first, and the controller mm. is the boss. The view, the controller decides whether or not a view is even necessary. A controller could just, you know, throw some text down the response stream and bypass a view altogether if it, if it felt necessary. Um, but the view is very, very subordinate to the controller and displays exactly what the controller passes to it. So I think if you think of Model View Presenter, you think the view happens first and delegates to the presenter. If you think Model View Controller, the controller happens first and then delegates to the view. And ultimately, aren't we just decomposing the different bits that go into bringing up a web form so that we can scale them better, we can uh, replace out pieces better, we can test them better. Yeah, it's yeah. your classic decoupling brought to the web in a more uh, more drastic way. Yeah, separation yeah. of concerns. I mean, if you think about it, you pull up a web form, if you're doing e-commerce, why create a product class at all? Why not just do, why not just do every single thing in page load and throw in a thousand lines of code? Well, you know, the <laughs> obvious you'd be working is, in ASP. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but no, if you think about it, we 
we sort of accept that not everything goes in page load because obviously the the, the application will get out of control pretty quickly. Yeah. But why? Because it's hard to maintain. You have right. tons of things going on in that one method, and you need to separate things out to deal with the complexity and to deal with the number of things that are going on in the application. Especially as the app grows. Yeah, it becomes yeah, harder and harder to manage. Yeah. Right. And so um, the model view controller helps uh, with separation um, and, and dealing with how to format objects into HTML or into the view, whatever that happens to be, versus what do we show onto the screen and how do we coordinate with other services in the application that get us the objects that are appropriate for that screen. And so it's different responsibilities, and it, and it breaks out quite nicely. Hey, this is Carl. I just want to take a minute out of the show to tell you about Telerik's Q2 2000 Tools Update, which can be summed up this way. Blazing fast performance for ASP.NET, WPF-like visual effects for Windows Forms, and codeless reporting. The AJAX-based content editor is now 76% faster and much more intuitive. The grid also received a performance boost, plus PDF export, frozen columns, and they've even added a new awesome scheduling component. What I find even more intriguing is Telerik's Windows Form Suite. It's unbelievable that it offers WPF-like visual effects like scaling, rotation, object motion, transparencies, and so on without WPF. As a result, you could have grids, tree views, ribbons, and more with a previously impossible level of interactivity and appeal. Telerik has recently added cab support, which makes the component set a perfect fit for large enterprise applications. Lastly, with Telerik reporting, you can create advanced business reports in Windows, Web, or PDF format using pretty much design time only. Wizards, expression builders, and converters help you with the design, styling, and integration. You'll also be amazed to see some unique features, like CSS-like styling and conditional formatting. See what all the fuss is about. Download a trial at Telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for sponsoring .NET Rocks. The Model View Controller Framework has just come out. And I saw that you were talking about it in at DevTeach. Yes. You were doing a session on it, packed standing room only. Um, have have they been talking about this out in the conferences for a while now? Um, have when when was when did you first see it? I think you mentioned Scott Guthrie at the uh, PDC. Yes. Uh, at the alt at the alt.net conference in Austin, Texas, October fifth. Uh, Scott proposed a session yeah, to show the current state of the prototype, and, and pretty much everybody was interested in seeing that. So uh, the Alt.net conference is where, where Scott officially announced the prototype and was the first public demo of the state of the bits, and, and that video is available online. Uh, various. So that was only October? That was only October 5th, and that was, that was not real bits. That was still his prototype that he had sort of tweaked along the way. And he had just handed it off to a product team, um, a small product team, and then October 25th, um, I was one of the folks invited to the, the on-site software design review, and they had the first state of the bits, and so we got to play around with an internal build, but really, really rough. So just, you know, on December, December 9th, the public CTP is Probably the first, maybe usable version of it, but you can start building stuff on it right now. So, what kinds of applications would not be 
good to to use this with. I mean, when where is there a law of uh, diminishing returns in terms of? Well, not a law of diminishing returns, but is there is there a smallness factor that where it becomes more of a pain? You know, yeah. with a small website. Sure. sure. Um, well, if you think about, I mean, just find out where your own uh, or identify the responsibilities of the application. If your application yeah. Step one. merely watches for a file drop and then you know does a batch process, it doesn't have a UI. Obviously, you're not going to use this. However, yeah. if your application, if the whole purpose of your application is prov- is to provide a single page where maybe a, a security guard can pull up and press a button on the page, and it interacts with an automated lock on the door and unlocks the door. Well, if it's a one-page app, you know, you're probably thinking, what's the responsibility of this app? You might not find cause to separate things out very much. But if you're talking about more common real-world business applications where uh, maybe if you're selling products in an online store, you have modeled the concepts of a product, a shopping cart, a customer, and now you have different screens for, for showing orders, for presenting a product listing, for showing the shopping cart. Now you've got a lot of things going on, and that's where you say, okay, what are my responsibilities? Let me break them out so that, uh, so that I don't have more than one responsibility per class. Because if I do, then I start to build up technical debt, the complexity starts to get out of hand, and it becomes less maintainable of an application. I'm trying to imagine some other scenarios like uh, mixed clients. If I've got a mobile client as well as a regular browser client or different versions of browser clients, does this help me encapsulate those differences? Um, As far as, are you talking about being able to use the same controller with different views? Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask that. And um, if you have, uh, for instance, a regular browser view of something, and then you have a, a mobile client where it's a really small screen. If it's if it's something like a product listing, you could probably have a view for the regular browser and then a view that knows how to format it more concisely for a PDA or a smartphone. That could probably work. Right. But you got to handle it case by case because if you've got a composed UI with a left column and a top column and a right column, there's a lot of things going on like a portal screen. You're not, you're really not going to be able to get all that on a single PDA view. And so you're really going to have to have some different strategies for doing that. Now, smart clients versus web apps, I cannot conceive of, or I cannot conceive of a real scenario where you're going to be able to use the same controller with a different view for a smart client versus web because the whole nature, the stateless versus stateful, the, the paradigm is completely different. Yeah, the whole model part shifts yep. as soon as you go to a smart client. Really, the model shifts to the client rather than being a management yeah. component of the server. Yeah, the controller is staying around and getting all kinds of callbacks from the view as you click a button and drop down the drop-down box. And, and on a web, you get a request, the controller does something, passes on to the view, and it's done. It goes away. What about that um the framework that they have in the uh in the patterns and practices that uh that abstracts the UI layer away? I guess you know we haven't heard too much about too much success with that. I don't know why. Which one? The uh U- user interface process block, the UIP. Yeah, that's uh I think that's going the way of the dodo. It just seemed like a big challenge. Yeah, I'm not for I, I never did use the the UI process block. All right. So the first thing that you'll notice when you're creating an application using the, the MVC framework versus web forms is 
you have complete control over your URLs. In web forms, unless you do some, some more advanced things, you're pretty much tied to the file name. If you have a if you have a listproducts.aspx web form, you pretty much know what the URL is going to be. And pretty much every other .NET developer could guess what the URL is going to be because it's tightly coupled to that file name. And IIS is looking for that file on the disk before it even hands off control to the ASP.NET runtime. Not so with the yeah. MVC framework. The MVC framework, the first thing you do when you're adding a feature to the application is you have to decide what you want the URL to be. You have complete control over that. You could want... You could... You know, you could call it, you know, something.com slash whatchamacallit and have it routed to your product list. Or um, you could use a convention that the MVC framework is is promoting in that you you start with, you know, mysite.com slash controller name slash action and then slash, you know, param1, param2, however many you have. So if you go with that convention, which you don't have to, you're in complete control of how you want it formatted, um, and you had a product controller, then you could choose the URL, mysite.com slash product slash, and then, for instance, list. And you would have list as one of your actions. And what is an action? It is a public void method on the controller class. That's all it is. And it's marked public, and you stick a controller attribute on top of it, and there you have your action class. If that URL comes in, the framework's going to route control to that method, and the code in that method decides what to do with that screen. All right, that is very cool. I'm still trying to figure out exactly why I'd want to do that. Like, what advantage it would give me? Well, you might not. You might, if you don't care about URLs, um, then you're so probably really just about gonna, making nicer looking URLs. Yeah, if you don't care about URLs, then you're going to accept the default convention and do whatever you want. Um, but there are a lot of people who've gone to great pains to do URL rewriting because they were not content with the uh, the URL scheme of web forms. And, you know, in, in .NET 1.1, it was very, very difficult. They made some improvements in .NET 2.0 to URL rewriting. Um, but the MVC framework, because you define explicitly your URLs or your routes, you don't have to write URL rewriting code. And so, therefore, you don't have to test it, you don't have to maintain it, and you don't have to worry about it breaking in future versions. Now, that's just, that, that, that's gone away. So, you know, if you, a lot of people worry about search engine optimization and they might want several different landing pages, uh, that are named certain things to go to the same content. Well, because you have complete control of your URLs, it's very easy to do that. I'm not sure if y'all have run into any situations where you just wanted to define exactly what URL you wanted to for a certain page. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I have seen folks that do that. And, uh, you know, all I've been really thinking was in terms of rewriting schemes, this is just a more comprehensive way to do it. Uh, yeah. It's well, a, you know, you know what it is? Like, I think tech folks look at this and go, why? But then we can actually speak in IP addresses. Yeah, that's true. You know, it, it's just our mindset's fine with remembering random strings of characters or numbers, but the average mortal, that's just baffling. Right. Well, you know, here's a real scenario. I'm an online retailer, and so... I want every single one of my products to be indexed by Google. Therefore, I can't say products.aspx, product ID equals, you know, some integer or some GUID, whatever my ID is. Right. That's just not going to really work for search engines. So what, what would work? Well, mysite.com slash, um, widget slash widget category slash 
widget one slash red or are you whatever you have but now you have a URL without query strings, so search engines see that and say, ah, that's a normal URL. I will index it. I will look at what's on the page and, and you know, index the content. Now someone searches for widget, they search for a red widget, guess what pops up? Your site, they buy from you, you make money. Yeah, right to you, the exact right product page you were looking for. Yeah. Yep. Well, and it, it's, it's funny how often we use this, although, again, I still think it's URL rewriting for stuff like, that's how I find anything on the Microsoft site. Microsoft.com yeah. slash name of product. Yeah. Exactly. That'll almost always take you to the product. Right. Yeah. But now see the the interesting part is we're talking about URL rewriting. Well, with the MVC framework, we're not going to talk about that anymore. Right. Because you know how if you want to accept the conventions because you really don't care, fine. If you want complete minute control over it, you have it and no longer are we going to have to spend time writing our, our URL rewriting engine. Okay, we've given a lot of love to views and controllers. Do we need to talk more about the model part of MVC? Uh, yeah, I think so a little bit. Um, it's, it's not so, so interesting because the model is the rest of your application. I mean, the work that, that Microsoft is doing here is on the routes, the controllers, the views, some, some, some UI helpers. The model, as far as the pattern, is the concepts that you're representing in your application with our with our online store. The product is a model, and now, you know, if we've got if we've got some special way of grouping and sorting products that is, uh, you know, very pervasive across our application, used by many many screens, then you know we're gonna we're gonna uh, create you know logical service classes that know how to group these 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 products and and do interesting things and then all the screens that need to use it well they're they're going to they're going to make use of all the logical services and all the um different classes in the core of the application and the MVC framework is really around web UIs the core of your application isn't impacted at, at all and i mean the core of your application it, and let me let me take a tangent right now. Okay. I don't really like the the layered architecture that that we've heard about for so long, which states that the top layers reference the layers below it, but the layers below don't reference anything above it. Um, I I like to think of of, a, of an, a systems architecture like an onion, where you have the core of the application, the domain model, all the concepts represented uh, like they are in the real world, and then layers around it are more functionality that might depend on not just one object, but maybe a group of objects. And then you have another layer that sort of aggregates into more rich functionality, the concepts that are in the inner layers. And then once you get out to the outer layer, it's, it's maybe interaction with the human where the MVC framework lies. And then you interface with you know, your data component, which, which uh, you know, does persistence. And so that, I think, your application architecture is consistent regardless of whether you're using web forms or the MVC framework. However, how you design uh, the presentation layer is what's different. Hmm. Okay. So let's let's dig into that. And there's a couple of different angles I'd want to take on it. And you already said early on, no more postbacks, no more view state. Right. So what happens to controls in the new UI? So you – okay, because controls rely so much on view state and postback – uh, you're not going to be able to use the existing web forms controls exactly like you would before. Okay. Now, like the data grid and some other things, you can 
still use them to render HTML if you choose, because after all, they do have, uh, you know, they do have a, a render method. Right. So anything like that, yeah, if you want it to spit out HTML and there's some specific thing that, that is, uh, browser aware and can adjust the, the HTML, that's fine. Um, however, um, the views are really meant to be simple translations from objects to HTML. And so with that, um, the control hierarchy is a little bit complex and it depended on postbacks and, and view states. So that's sort of being set aside. That is the domain of web forms. Now what is replacing the reusable components for the view is something called UI helpers. And there's, there's a class called HTML helper and it is, um, it's going to be attached via a property on the view page class that all the views inherit from. And so you can type in, in your markup, you can type html.textbox, html.select, html.button. And it's just one line that you call and it's going to, you know, spit out the HTML that's appropriate, but in a much more simple way. And, um, you're, you're a little bit closer to the metal, closer to the HTML and, and, in complete control over what that structure is. And so that also helps with designers who are going to put CSS stylings on the HTML because they're no longer have to worry about ID munging or, mm. you know, nested elements because they're going to have the HTML right there to work with. Still, I'm still worrying about my UI. I'm used to my grid control where they can click and sort by any column. How are we going to replace that postback functionality? Well, let me, let me give an antidote real quick. I met someone who I was, we were talking about this at DevTeach and, uh, you know, we were talking about HTML and all this stuff and he had started his web development with ASP.NET and web forms. And one of the comments that he made was, I didn't know that there was another way to do web applications. I thought this was the way with mm. Postbacks and View State. Whereas, you know, the Java world, Ruby, Monorail, and then ASP Classic, it was it was uh, you know a much different approach. You you right. dealt with HTTP posts and gets, and you dealt with the query string and form values and and all that stuff. And so when you wanted to post back and and create the illusion that you were staying on the same page, but merely refreshing the page, you handled the mechanism for that. Right. And so we're we're back to that where we have control over that mechanism. So when you want to refresh the screen or post back to the same screen, but just, you know, change it up a little bit. Um, there is a UI helper for that. Um, and I, it's, it's going to, the name of it is going to change, you know, from the CTP on, but essentially it's a line of code that allows uh, you to spit out a link that goes back to the same controller, but a different action. So, you know, if you want to do a form post, to and like on, in the DNR TV episode we recorded, there was a button that reduced the inventory for the particular product that was in that grid in that grid row. You press the button, and it is a form post back to the same controller, but a different action method, and a hidden form field contained the product ID that was passed into that method. So it was able to take one off the inventory, and then it and then it redirected back to another action that was the original product listing. And that action did just redid the listing view. So from the perspective of the user, they click on a button, the inventory is reduced by one, and the screen refreshed with the product listing with the with the new inventory value. So we still did a post back of a form, but we made it a little narrower. It's a little smarter. Yeah, now we're talking about definition of terms. We did a fresh 
and distinct HTTP post, but in effect rendered the same screen with updated values. But it did redraw the whole screen. You were posting. It did. Yes, it did. Which I'm okay with, but that just naturally brings up the whole concept of Ajax. Yes. And you know what? There's, there is, uh, Ajax helper support that is actually in the CTP. Um, and you'll, you'll probably have to get the MVC toolkit, which is also available, um, when you download it. But there's going to be an Ajax helper where you can say, I, I want this Ajax call to go to this controller and, or go to this URL essentially. It'll be routed to a controller the same as any request. But because it's an Ajax call, you can, you can, Changed up just a little bit so that when it renders the HTML back over the wire, um, your view is just merely going to swap out the HTML that's in a particular div. So you say, you know what, I'm defining this div, and maybe you think about it like an update panel. This section of the page is going to be swapped out when I do something, and it's going to make an AJAX call to a controller, and that controller is going to use a view, which is really going to be a view user control. It's going to be a portion of the page. It's going to render the HTML for that section. And then the JavaScript that you don't have to write, that's written for you, um, behind that AJAX helper call, is going to swap out the HTML, and there you have your AJAX. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Now, fundamentally, that rendered HTML, the rendering occurs on the server. Yes. And then the, the, the browser is receiving it and simply doing the, uh, the inner HTML insert into the div tag. Yes. Right. It's not, yeah, it's Ajax that's managed by the MVC framework. Right. On, so it's server-side management. Yeah. If you want to do more advanced Ajax where you're, in effect, writing a smart client JavaScript application that runs in the browser, well, you're obviously going to have to do, uh, you know, you're going to have to design that yourself. Yeah, that's up to you to work out. Although, I mean, other Ajax implementations out there do that. Yeah. But the MVC framework, at this point anyway, and let's be right. honest, it's been three months. Yep. This I know. thing is brand new. Who knows what it's ultimately going to look like in, you know, next year. Yeah, but talking about Ajax and JavaScript libraries, um, do you, did y'all ever try to integrate, um, you know, Scriptaculous or Prototype or any of the other things, um, do the JavaScript into web forms and then have to deal with, um, iNaming container and the, the fact that you don't really know what the IDs are going to be and you have to manage all that stuff? I've done kind that with difficult. web controls, right? I've done that with yeah. web controls where you spit out JavaScript and you have to deal with the iNaming container and all that. Right. It gets kind of difficult in some scenarios. It does. Well, um, there's a lot there there's a lot of UI libraries out there Yahoo UI is 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 one popular one and JavaScript libraries and Ajax libraries that can be used with any web technology because they're not dependent on the server they are they are only uh you know client side HTML libraries well because uh the MVC framework puts such an emphasis on simple views and leaving all the HTML and CSS up 
CSS up to you, it's very, very easy to leverage these other libraries that are available. Where it was difficult to leverage these with web forms, it's going to be very easy to leverage them with, with the MVC framework views. So we really are going at a whole different method of rendering UI on the browser using right. the MVC yeah. model. And I think of I think of web forms when they came out as, you know, people are having a little bit of problems with the web. Why don't we make it why don't we fake it and make it stateful like VB six applications where they can just drag a button on the form, double click on the button, now you're inside an event handler, write some lines of code, and then press F five. And and I think Maybe the the goal of making it more, you know, making it easier to use, and you know, that's one side of it. But the web just is, is you know, so drastically different that uh, you know, keeping with the the, re- the request response nature really does lead to simpler and more maintainable applications. Well, it, you know, that pseudo stateful model came with some serious consequences as soon as you did anything big with it. Right. You know, view state got away from you. And one other thing that that Scott Guthrie is emphasizing is that the MVC framework is not replacing web forms. Web forms is not going away, and obviously there's tons of web forms applications out there. Um, Microsoft tends to say, you know what, we're not going to provide so much guidance and be so opinionated. We're going to throw out a lot of stuff, give a lot of options, and you know, you choose. Which sort of a double-edged sword. Some people you know, can say, oh, there's so many options. Which one do I choose? And that's one side of it. But then the other side of it is, is you know, folks who like that they're in complete control. So, you know, it's good and bad, but that's, uh, that's Microsoft's stance on it. They're going to they're gonna support both and let you pick. Yeah, pick your poison. Jeff, do you see this as the sort of the beginning of a whole new suite of tools, maybe, that's developed around this model? Well, maybe, uh, yeah. Think of the web client software factory. There's a lot of buzz around that, but guess what? That is completely based on web forms. It is completely inapplicable to the MVC framework. Um, you think of SharePoint web parts. That is completely based on on web forms. Um, so I, I I definitely see as you know people did build a lot of things on the web forms model. I, I see now people will build a lot of things on the MVC framework model. Well, and I'm sure there's going to be third-party, comp- you know, control vendors and so forth coming in and making MVC-savvy stuff right. to make our lives that much easier. Yeah, and this is one thing that, that I that I sort of lobbied hard for, and they haven't quite accepted it yet, but maybe being on this show will help out a little bit, is the idea of subcontrollers as a, re- as a unit of reusability. Because control vendors need a way to encompass some views and some behavior um, and deliver it in a single DLL. And just, you know, plug in, hey, I want to use your, your tools and your components, fine, use it. And so, if you think about it from a component vendor's perspective, they need a way to bundle some sub-controllers, you know, some classes or APIs that can be leveraged inside a controller action. In other words, here's a product, go bind it to your super fantastic grid with, you know, mega sorting and paging and just go do it for me and render the view here. And the control vendor needs to have that behavior, but then also be able to provide the view, but embedded into the assembly. Because the control vendor really can't just deliver an ASPX or an ASCX file. Everything really has to be packaged nicely inside that assembly and delivered so that I can just drop it on my production server and, and use it easily. So yeah. they don't they don't have all that fleshed out, but um, continuing to give them that feedback, and I, I think I think we'll get there. 
So do you have any ideas of, of what, what it's going to look like? I mean, I, I hear about all these great things that are going on with, you know, uh, dynamic languages and things that are seem to be like fundamental paradigm shifts. This is another one that would seriously change the the user interface, the the developer's user interface, right? If you think about it only from a Microsoft platform perspective, then that's probably that's probably valid to say. And there are certainly a lot of developers who who only pay attention uh, to that space. But if you look at the industry as a whole. Microsoft is sort of the last to the table with an MVC framework. Yeah. So it's not really... But isn't that because, like, the the IDE is so popular? It is what it is, whereas, you know, a lot of the other development platforms are, you know, people just use text editors and command line compilers and things. Well, with, with, you know, with Rails, yeah, a lot of that's true. But with Java, no, the IDEs are, I mean, IntelliJ, that's... I mean that IDE is phenomenal, and you know you got what WebWork and Struts and some other MVC framework, Spring MVC. Um, but if you think about Monorail, Monorail is 100%.NET, and there's a lot of people building .NET applications, but using the ModelView controller pattern, and they're doing it with Visual Studio. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's just going to be different. You know, things are going to change. So, what about performance? Is this um, a concern? Uh, of anyone? Is anyone concerned about performance? Oh, it's always a concern, and, you know, Microsoft does their load testing. Um, but what's interesting is that uh, if you take the public CTP and the, the MVC framework, it is built, it is it is a new library built on top of the ASP.NET runtime. It's not changing up the current system.web namespaces. It's extra functionality on top. So, um you know, the, the ASP.NET runtime, which has been tuned and fine-tuned over time, you're running in the exact same pipeline. You've got your H2V modules, you're handing off to the handler, which in this case, the IH2V handler is going to be a class in the MVC framework. It's just going to be different at that point. But it is the exact same ASP.NET runtime with the exact same performance. Okay. So not, a, not really an issue. Yeah, and you know, output caching and all the health monitoring and all those right. extra features. I mean, that's that's all there. Yeah, yeah. The plumbing's so rich. A little rearrangement and how things go together isn't going to hurt anything. Yeah, I'm still right. jumping back to uh, Dino Esposito's discussion Esposito. in the show we did with him, where he said if if the browser isn't doing the rendering, you're not doing it right. That really the whole point in like the AJAX model was when now we're putting some of the computational load down onto the browser to decrease the load on the server. And certainly the work I've been doing in, in Strange Loop, we've been seeing that we want to unload the servers. That is the, the limited resource. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how Silverlight 2.0 allows us to just pass, uh, you know, pass presentation data transfer objects over to Silverlight and have it render HTML inside the browser. Well, that's a whole other can of worms that's just going to change everything. Is what is Silverlight going to do? And I, I don't, can't imagine why Silverlight would even bother with HTML at all. Yeah. But now uh, you're you're now you're running C sharp on the on the client end. You're making your service calls and getting them back and doing whatever rendering you want to do. You've got pieces of of uh, WFP uh, ready for WPF available to you. Why wouldn't you use it? I like WFP. <laughs> yeah, what are you Silver thinking Light, about WTF is one of my favorites. That's right. Well, Silverlight's a whole different ballgame, which I'll 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 admit. I'm you know, I'm just 
I'm just watching the whole scene because I'm, I am not in that space. And so it's just interesting for me to watch it. But, you know, there's a lot of people today who are, who are downloading the CTP of the MVC framework for the first time, and they're starting to use it. And there's a lot of people using their IOC container, and it's not bundled in. And so I'd just like to put out that um, folks can download the MVC Contrib open source project that started up in, in, in sync with the CTP to handle and, and deliver those types of integrations with third-party products that Microsoft can't bundle up. Like, they're not going to be able to bundle up Windsor integration or Structure Map or Spring.net integration in their Microsoft product. So that's one thing that um, is coming up in the MVC Contrib open source project is integration with the really popular things that people are using. So, and, it, and you just sort of sprung MVC Contrib on us, mm-hmm. but this is the CodePlex project? Yes, it's on CodePlex, um, and it has an alias on mvccontrib.org. Okay, so, I mean, anybody can now contribute to this. They get a SVN client, and off they go. Right, and there's there's quite a few people who've started contributing already. Um, Eric Hexter and myself started up the project, but we're just, uh, you know, coordinating it, and I, there's a lot of motivated people who want to contribute patches to, you know, build up uh, a lot of functionality that's not going to be in the product, but, you know, might be a little more specialized or might be integration with, you know, third-party libraries. Yeah, I, I really get the sense we have no idea where this is going to go. There's just so many <laughs> possibilities. It's very early, very, very early. But there, there's already some reference implementations out there um, that you can download um, and, and use with the public CTP. Um, and I've, I've got a few URLs that I've for implementations that I've published that I can give you for the show notes. Okay. Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine. Now, I, st- I still go back to Silverlight and say, all right, wh- where does the view live and where does the controller live once I have a real coding environment on the browser? Yeah. Because I, c- I could actually push the controller down there. Yeah, I don't have a good answer for that right now. Do you really want to do that? Yeah, that that's the debate. I'm just thinking of the possibilities. Really, <laughs> and in some ways, I think Silverlight, we stopped being a web app. Yeah, we start we start being a smart client app. Well, I look, I it depends, right? I mean, just because you can do a lot doesn't mean you're going to, you know. And uh, I look at Java, right? We, this was the promise of Java that things were going to run in the browser, and for a lot of reasons unrelated to the technology, it never really took off, right? Because it sort of isn't the Java experience, you know. I mean, it mm. isn't the web experience, is what I mean. So I don't know, I don't know. Well, that's actually the topic of the Austin.net user group meeting uh, that's going to be happening in a couple hours where I am with Rod Paddock. He's talking about Silverlight 2.0. So this is exactly the debate is, because we've done this before. Remember when it was an ActiveX control embedded in a web page? Right. You know, like we've done this before. Is is it going to be different? But Flash stuff is embedded a lot. It's It's all for presentation. You don't see too many. I mean, you see some games and things like that, but you don't see too many big apps. Yeah, but have you ever tried to program an action script? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, you know, but you can, people can do it and maybe there's a reason yeah. why there aren't many Flash apps other well, than Well, Flash has script. been around for a long time, but right. Adobe Flex has just come out recently and it's, you know, the actual programming platform based on Flash. So, the programming platform for it is relatively new, like Silverlight, even though that even though the, you know, the video technology has been out for a while. Yeah, but we we do you know then the big thing about Silverlight will be in the end these MVC bits uh, 
They're just bits of .NET code. There's no reason I couldn't shift it to Silverlight and see what happens. Mm. That'll be very interesting to see. So, Jeff, what are the kinds of things that I'm, I mean, I know that you show your demos and your samples and stuff, but when you sit down at, in your chair at night with your beer or whatever and you think, you know, what, what do I really want to write with this? What are some of the things that, uh, that come to mind? Well, um, actually, one, one project that I'm starting up right now is a code camp management application. And not only to help the community and, and help user groups manage code camps and other free conferences where they need to take RSCPs and to keep track of sessions and speakers and all that as a community project, but we're gonna, um, we're gonna be using that as a running example in our MVC framework book. Um, so that so that the book isn't just simple examples, but it's real life code that's that's you know serves a real purpose. And so I'm actually starting up that project. Um, you know, and hopefully people will join me in, in creating it for user groups for code camps. Um, so that's that's what I'm starting up right now. And the uh, the party with Palermo website actually was running uh, Scott Guthrie's prototype build. And, you know, I had a, a dev teacher, it was a 200 person party with Palermo, and I took, res- I took RSVPs on, hmm. on that website at running cool. the prototype. I think I had, there were three APIs that actually worked, but that was enough. Uh, Jeff, what's the testing story with MVC? Well, there's, uh, with the, along with the separation of concerns, um, comes testability. And with testability comes maintainability. Um, so they're all kind of tied together. But when you create a new model view controller framework uh, project from the Visual Studio templates, it's going to create the web application for you, and it's also going to create a unit test project for you. So it is sort of yelling at the developer, it is right and proper to create tests for <laughs> this code. Yeah. So uh, whereas you know, no, other, no other project template does that. You create a new web app or a new smart client or console app, you don't get a test project. There's, there's no mention that it might be a good idea to write some automated tests. So that's, uh, I think that's a very good thing just to get to the mainstream developer that, hey, you ought to be writing automated tests for your code um, right. to, so you can verify at any point. And, you know, part of the emphasis on separation of concerns is specifically for testability. Exactly. I'm not sure if you've ever tried to test, you know, some code that's stuck inside of a page yeah, load no. method on a web form. Sucks. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I think for the most part, web forms are untestable. Pretty much, yeah, except, exactly. Except at least automated testability. Uh, so anything that will uh, subtract code away from the form part so that I can test it at least is going to make my life better. Right. And you're not going to be able to test the stuff that, that has to have eyeballs on. Like, is the text box lined up with the, you know, tech? I don't know. I have to look at it with my eyeballs to verify that. But if we can keep that stuff in the view and have nothing else but that stuff in the view, then, then, then that's cool. We have to put our eyeballs on the view and, and everything else we can write an automated test for. Like, are the products sorted in the right order? Well, that ought to be testable. And so if we keep that in the controller or controller or below, then we can write an automated unit test. So the controller class, um, it's, it's designed with testability in mind. It's, uh, all the dependencies are interface based and you can override those with your own mock objects or stubs. Uh, most of the key methods are marked virtual so that if you need to, 
inherit and override to make sure that you called render view for the right view and the right view data, you can do that. Um, it has a plug-in point called the iController factory so that you can put in your IOC container like Structure Mapper Windsor um, so that dependencies can be injected. And then when you're passing in your dependencies into your constructor, it's going to be, it's going to make it easier to unit test because you can fake out maybe your iProduct repository and the i, you know, the iViewFactory to provide the view. And you fake those out in your unit test and then you run an action method. You assert that it did the right thing and you assert that it called uh, the right method on the product repository and, and that it called for the right view. And now you have a unit test. And that's sort of the key thing here with unit testing is, can I break that piece out in such a way that I can do the test successfully? Yeah. And we so, definitely are talking about unit testing and not integration testing. In other yes. words, maybe, maybe I'm pulling products, you know, and, and it ends up coming from a database. The database is not active when the tests are running. And that, and that's one of the, the, that's one of the reasons that some, some of the tests slow down. If you have the database constantly active when your tests are running and your tests depend on the database being full, you're doing integration testing, which integration testing is valuable too, but it's going to take a long time to run and you're going to get pissed off at your automated testing suite. But if you can fake out your database or fake out the interface that you depend on that ends up getting you the objects, your unit tests are going to be fast. You're going to be happy, and your marriage is going to be better. <laughs> and you're the Dalai Lama. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Dalai Lama of MVC. Uh, now, a different topic around testing besides unit testing, uh, Scott Guthrie calls us out on his blog post about this, is that the MVC pattern helps facilitate test-driven development. Now, I'm curious as to how you feel about that. Well, any any software design that is separated out by responsibility is going to mesh well with test-driven development. And so the fact that the model view controller um, pattern uh, has an emphasis on these separation of concerns, that's what makes it testable. Right. As long as you don't have... Now, and there's, there's things that can hinder testability. If you're calling static methods everywhere, well, guess what? You can't fake out a static method. So those are roadblocks to testability. By having everything separated and have everything interface-based or marked virtual, well, now you've removed the roadblocks to testability. Jeff, uh, where can we go for more resources, for more links and help on the web? Well, there's uh, Scott Guthrie's had a, a five-part series, and it's probably going to expand out. Um, just go to Scott Guthrie's blog on and weblogs.asp.net. Uh, my blog has, has quite a bit of information. I'm on uh, codebetter.com, and uh, the actually the the MVC Contrib Codeplex project has a lot of links on the page. And also, if you if you go to Delicious and um, search for the tag. ASP.NET MVC, all one word. I've tagged everything I find with ASP.NET MVC, so it's sort of like a really <laughs> long running list okay. of everything I find on the net because it's really new, and so the the first bits of information are just now starting to come out. Very cool. Well, Jeff, you got anything else you want to make a shout out about or a promotion? Speaking anywhere coming up? Um, I I just finished speaking at VS Live and DevTeach Vancouver. Uh, not and I'm not speaking again until um, 
January where I go to the, the San Diego.net user group. But uh, I would like to encourage people to, to come by uh, the MVC Contrib workspace on CodePlex and contribute or at least give ideas and uh, you know, come, come participate in the Open Source Project. And I'd like to thank Eric Hexter for all his work on, on coordinating the project also. Excellent. Thanks, and Jeff. And Justice Gray rocks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he does. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Carl, Richard. Great pleasure talking to you. You too. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a